shackled by a heavy burden neath a load of guilt and shame then the hand of Jesus touched me and my soul something happened and now I know he touched me and made me Blessed Savior, since He cleansed and made me whole, I will never cease to praise Him. I'll shout it while He my soul something happened and now I know he touched me and he not leaving, are you? <laughs> my, my, my. Already, what a service. Jim Heinzel, I never thought that you and I would ever stand in the same pulpit again. I met Jim when I was preaching over in uh, Orangeburg, South Carolina, where my mother was born in 1904. And we were just getting underway at Atlanta Baptist Church, a new church. And I heard him sing one Sunday afternoon. He came as a guest just to sing Sunday afternoon. And I said to myself, there's my song leader. He's coming to Atlanta, Georgia. And I asked him, would you come? He said, no. (laughs) And I said, Jim, please come. Well, I'll pray about it. That's usually the way you, you know, it's nice way of saying no, I'll pray about it. And so I called him six weeks later, and I said, Jim, have you prayed about it? No, he said. I said, Jim, we want you down here, Pekin, Illinois. And uh, I just bugged him and stayed at it until finally he said, you know, I have begun to pray about it, and I feel like this is where uh, God wants me to be. And he came, and I'll tell you, the blessing that came on that church with the way this man could minister the Word of God in hymns and solos was unbelievable. Jim would walk out sometimes on Sunday morning. I'll never forget this as long as I live. And he started off. and We hadn't sung anything. He just walked out and started singing a song, I Must Tell Jesus. And the whole crowd just, whoa. <laughs> I mean, when he got through singing, I was ready to preach. 
Now, I, I want to uh, just congratulate this church. Isn't this something you, you just don't see anymore? Isn't it beautiful? Y'all didn't do this, did you? Any, are, are there any charter members still here? That means when it started. <laughs> And you're celebrating your 189th anniversary. Isn't that marvelous? You know, my son, Caleb, has just been called to a little church over in Henry County, Luella. Their church was started in 1893, and in October they'll be celebrating 125 years of existence. But I see nothing. When I was a student at Mercer... I went over to Botsford Baptist Church for six months and preached for them. They started in 1773, 245 years ago. And out in front of that uh, church today, there is this uh, national marker. And it says on there, among other things, uh, by Edmund Botsford... He was an English missionary, and he said, I rode 650 miles, preached 12 sermons, baptized 21 persons. Is that not amazing? Now, you know, when you think about these churches that just started up last week, and these who started back here in 1773... And the one that's 100 years old and 50 years old and 20 years old all have one thing in common. And that is the message of the church, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We all have that in common. If you're a New Testament church, you tell folks about Jesus. Well, I want to do something today that... I hope will be a help and a blessing to this church and to everyone who is here. I want to talk about the gospel, the message of the church, the only message of the church that is needed in a broken world today. And I'm turning this morning, and I hope you will in your Bible, to the gospel that is found in Romans not the gospel of Romans, but Romans in which the gospel is found. And I'm at chapter 1 and verse 1. And I want you to pay close attention to it because we're going to be talking about this uh, throughout the message this morning. The Apostle Paul is writing and saying, A servant of Christ Jesus called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. This man was set apart for one reason, to preach the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through the prophets and the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the Word of God, and we receive it this morning joyfully. Now let me just have a breath of prayer. Our Father, I pray that the Spirit of the living God will give to us ability to communicate clearly the Word of God, the Gospel of Christ, and I pray for the hearers that you'll give them ears to hear and receive your truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we're talking this morning about this message that is the good news 
called the gospel. This euangelion is a word in your Greek Bible for which we get this gospel message, this good news. That's what it means. That's what it meant then. Sixty times in this one epistle, sixty times this word is used. Gospel, 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 gospel. Basically, I say it is good news. And it is, after all, the only message that the church of Jesus Christ has. And I like to hear the gospel preached, don't you? Amen. You know, we sing a song sometime written by Arabella Catherine Hankey. And she has one of the stanzas say, I love to tell the story. For those who know it best seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. And when in scenes of glory, I sing the new, new song. T'will be the old, old story that I have loved so long. Now this morning, I want you to go with me in your mind, in your thoughts, to this message of the gospel. And I want to talk about the essential, the crucial, the indispensable, the necessary elements of the gospel. I'm afraid in our generation that the gospel has been weakened. I think in many cases it's been watered down, and in some cases it's just been totally denied. And so we want to be sure everywhere we can, don't you, to understand what this gospel is and why it should be preached. Now, notice, first of all, in our passage here, is that the gospel is from God. He calls it here the gospel of God, not from men. Men recorded it. It came from God. And of course, the gospel, we're told here in this passage, was given to the Old Testament prophets back, back even then. And back in the Old Testament, you see it in promises. You see it in pictures. You see it in types. Back there, you saw it in ceremonies. It all reflected toward Jesus. And I want to tell you, if you want a new start on your Bible that will thrill your sweet soul, if you will ever see that the Old Testament war was, was a, a, a number of books that had one purpose, and that was to point to the Lord Jesus Christ, the coming Savior. Everything in the Old Testament pointed to that. All of the types, all of the shadows, all of the promises were about Him. And, and this is what He's saying here in this passage this morning, isn't it? Now, of course, the Apostle Paul made this clear to young Timothy, the preacher. He, he wrote to Timothy saying, uh, Who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling. Now that's the way we came to Jesus. We, he called us. And uh, He saved us when He called us. It's a holy calling, He says. Not according to our works, but according to His own purpose. Keep in mind that the gospel is God's plan. God's purpose. According to His own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of the Savior, Jesus Christ. Now watch what he says. He says, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light. How did he do that? How did he, how do we know about that death is abolished? How do we know that? Well, he says he brought it through the gospel, the gospel that is from God. Now, this is the first thing you need to remember about this message that we have. It was given to us by God. Now, the second thing we need to remember is where Paul said here in verse 1 and then in verse 3 that the gospel concerns his son. This is what the gospel is. It comes from God, but it's all about His Son, Jesus. In fact, here's the way he put it. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, 
Then in verse 3, concerning His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And then He tells you in this passage three things about Jesus. He talks about His incarnation. He was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. Now you realize what's happening here? That this God who's going to ultimately give us some good news, this God came to earth. The second person of this triune God came to earth, and guess what he did? He was deity. That's what God is. He was completely deity. And and he had every attribute that every other member of the Godhead had. All omnipotence, omnipresence, omniscience, all these things. And he came to earth... And the Bible said when he came to earth that he was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. Now, folks, that's a historical occasion. There was a time when Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came and took to himself a second nature. He was God, yes, but he'd never been a man. He wasn't made the Son of God. He always was the Son of God in the Trinity, in eternity. But when He came, He was made a man. And then you see how He says not only that He came as a seed of David, but then He makes a declaration. He declares, He's declared to be the Son of God with power. He was not, keep in mind now, He was not made the Son of God. He was made a little infant, and that infant was God and humanity brought together in this one personality that grew up 30-something years, lived a perfect life, came as the sacrifice for our sins. This one, God manifest in the flesh, is the story of Christmas. The fact is, we just missed that story at Christmas. And that's what's so sad about it. But now you say, well, how do we know that He is the Son of God? Well, He tells us here, see. He says uh, here in verse 4, He was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness. How? By the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, that's pretty good testimony that some would predict His death and then die and then raise Himself from the dead. And in doing so, He was declared to be the Son of God. Now, here's the Gospel. The Gospel comes from God. The Gospel is concerning His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, there's a third thing. And that is this Gospel that comes from God concerning Jesus Christ is a Gospel with a message of salvation. Later on, Paul is going to say in the same chapter, in verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the Gospel. Why, Paul? This Gospel, he says, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For in it, in this Gospel, is the righteousness of God. What is this righteousness done? It's revealed. From faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, every one of you know what Romans chapter 3 says about all of us. For all have have sinned and come short of the... There's none righteous... Bunch of sinners. That's true, isn't it? Man's problem, no righteousness. You can't fellowship with a righteous God and we're unrighteous sinners. Something's got to happen. Well, guess what happened? God sent His Son to identify Himself with us, to make it possible for us to have righteousness, not only unrighteousness. Well, look what He says here. He says that the righteous shall live by faith. But we're unrighteous. Where do we get it? Hang on. It's coming. It's coming through His Son whom He sent to be the righteousness that we needed. There's not a soul in this building today that's going to heaven unless you have the righteousness of God counted to you as an individual. I don't care who you, what church you belong to or where you go to church or anything else. 
All of sin comes short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. Well, how will I get righteousness? Well, it's not by joining churches. It's not by being baptized. It's not by being sweet and nice and kind. It's by coming to understand that God has done something for us that no other person could ever do. No other, no matter how religious they might be. Listen to what he says now. This is the famous passage about the gospel. It's in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That whole chapter, you know, is taken up with the resurrection. Like the 13th chapter is taken up with love. This one's taken up with the resurrection. But Paul starts out 1 Corinthians 15 by saying, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. I remind you of the gospel. You say, why do you have to remind us of the gospel? Because you forget it. Huh? You all amen down here? Help self then. (laughs) We forget the gospel. You know why we come to this table as often as we do? Jesus said that you do it what? In remembrance. Well, have you forgotten something? You're capable of it. All of us are. We don't ever need to forget the gospel. Well, that's what the Lord's Supper is. When you look at the Lord's Supper, there's a, there's a cup with juice in it, a wine in it. Y'all have real wine? Some do. I always wanted to join a church like that. You got wine here, which represents what? Blood. Got bread here, represents what? Now, folks, anybody will know that when you take the blood of a person, put it here, and the body and put it over here, what have you got? He's dead. You can't take a man's blood from him and leave his body here unless it's said. You know what this is a picture of? This is a picture of his death. He said, don't forget me. Please, you'll get so crowded, but don't forget me. And we come here and we, at the table we just concentrate on Him. Why? Because of who He is and what He's done for us. How can we forget Him? We have the ability to do that. And Paul said there are three things about Jesus I want you to remember. I'm calling this to your mind, he says. For I delivered to you of what is first importance. Now, what is it important, Paul? He said, I'm giving you what I received from God. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. So, now what have we got so far? We got a message that came from God. And we got a message that concerns his son and we got a message that's all about salvation but now let's come to something even more unmemorable than the other things and that is the gospel is historical now if I had time I'd spend some time here because you see there's so many that when they think about the gospel they're thinking about something mythical Or they're thinking about something that's symbolical or something that's allegorical or something that's figurative. No, folks, we're talking about something that is historical. Tomorrow night I'm going to talk about how do you know whether you've got true faith or not, salvation faith. Well, how do you know that? Well, folks, you've got to have something to believe. Now, who wants to believe a fairy tale? I got fooled by that when I was born, you know. Back then, the mama used to tell me about so-and-so. Be everywhere in the world at one time. That's omnipresence, you know that? I got fooled with that story. But I'm not going to be fooled with this story. You know why? Because this is a historical story. The Bible tells us that the incarnation took place in a little town. A real town. Bethlehem. The Bible tells us that this person... This God-man grew up in a place called Nazareth, real city. The Bible says that Jesus died in a real town, real city, Jerusalem. The Bible said he was buried in a real grave. The Bible said that he ascended into a real place, heaven. The Bible said that he's going to come again at a certain time and a certain date. These things are historical. 
So what we say about the gospel is that it's historical in that Jesus came to achieve certain works necessary for our salvation. Now this was done historically. He lived a perfect life. He took our place on the cross to pay for our sins. The scripture tells us that. He came to achieve a certain thing. He came to turn away the wrath of God that is directed towards sinful people. He came to avert that. How did he turn away the wrath that was due us? He did it by receiving the wrath of God uh, himself. Listen, folks, God poured his wrath not on Jim, but on Jesus. His wrath, his holy obstinance against sin. That's what his wrath is. He'll always be against sin. And if we have sin, listen folks, we cannot come to a perfect God with our sin as well. We're sinful people. Something's got to be done with this thing that, that keeps us from this God. But we can't do it. This is the story of the gospel. That's good news, folks. God came to do it. He sent His Son to do it. And His Son came to achieve that on the cross. Now, I say that there's a historical aspect to this that must be understood. In fact, the Scripture tells us that He came in all these places, did His works in all these places, and He achieved what God sent Him to achieve. Now, how will that achievement of his work, the thing that it did, how is that transferred to somebody sitting in the first pew? How is that transferred? All that he did on a cross, that's 2,000 years ago, how's that going to come to play down here in 2018? How does that work? In other words, he could do all that he wished to do, but unless it's applied to us, it's of no value to us. And this is the wonderful thing. Now, you understand that if I were to explain that, I would have to talk forever about the atonement itself, where he died upon the cross to make atonement for our sins. I'd have to talk about propitiation. That's a good word. That means he directed his, the wrath of God to himself. I'd have to talk about justification, which means that when God gives me his righteousness and counts his righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus to be mine, then I can stand before God without any fear of condemnation. The Bible said there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. I never have to fear that. Why? Because my sin was paid for and the righteousness of Christ was transferred to me when I trusted him as my Savior. And as God sees me now, He doesn't see me just as Jim. He sees me as Jim in Jesus, you see. In other words, I'm lined up with Him. His righteousness is my righteousness and that, folks, is perfect righteousness. Now, unless you have that, unless you come to see that and understand that and receive that, then you're in big trouble. But all of these dots, you see, these things have to be explained. We have to explain to people what the death means. We have to explain to people what justification is. We have to explain why he had to redeem us. He had to redeem us because we were sold into slavery. The Bible said, he that sins a slave of sin. I hear these people talking all the time, I'm free, I'm free. Uh, oh, you're not free unless you're free in him. The Bible said Jesus makes us free, but in ourselves we're bound to the sinfulness. That's a, that's a root part of our nature. We came into the world fallen. The Adams family is a terrible family to be a part of. I mean, that Adams family on TV is nothing to what we are. We are trouble and in trouble. And well, you just have to preach that then, don't you? You just have to explain that. And you come back and explain it again. 
And people come to see through this message that God is going to take and, and do something in them that has never been done before. And that person is going to be transformed in a moment's notice. Somebody said that God is the only one who can put a new man in a suit without unbuttoning the coat. That's what he does. That's what he came for. Now, wait a minute. I'm not through. This gospel message about this glorious God who has done all of these glorious things, we need to find out then why we should worship and praise him for all of it. We should, for this simple reason, is because we now have life in him. Now, uh, the gospel, I say, is from God. Let's don't forget our points now. It's, in, it's, it's from God. It's about who? It's about Jesus. It's about what? It's about salvation. It's what? It's historical. And not only that, we come to the last of those five points, and that is it is personal. You see, the gospel is no good to you if you come hear it. Be impressed about it. Talk about it. Look about it. Hear others talk about it. Gospel's no good to you unless you receive the gospel. Believe the gospel. Because the gospel leads us to Jesus. Leads us to the Savior. Doesn't lead us to doctrines. It leads us to the one about whom we talk about these doctrines. It all is about Him. You see. And it's so it's personal. Now, look at this for just a moment. In five, verse 5 and 6, 5b, that's the second part of verse 5. That's Romans chapter 1 now. Listen, Paul said uh, he had received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name, Jesus' name, among all nations, including who? Including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Now, what is his calling? How does that, how does that work? Well, you want, uh, you, you want to see this? You, you, re- you, you think you stand it? All right, turn to Ephesians then. Turn to Ephesians if you think you can stand it. Ephesians 2, verse 1, and I'm going to read your history right now. Every person here, I know who you were. You can't hide it. I know, the Bible tells me every one of you who you were. And you're going to, your face is going to blush when you remember it. Listen to what he says now. Paul says, you were dead in trespasses and sins. Bad folks. In which you walked. How did you walk? Oh, you walked following, following the course of the world. Following the prince and the power of the air. That's Satan himself. Now listen to what he says. The spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. You weren't an obedient person to Christ. You were disobedient. You were walking with people under whom they they walked under the judgment of God. You did too. Listen, people don't have to die and go to hell to be condemned. You're condemned already. That's what John said. He that believeth not is condemned already right now. God's wrath is upon the head of every person who's never received Christ. I don't care who you are. I don't care about your church membership. I don't care about your good works. You're you're under condemnation until God justifies you through the death of His Son who came to die for sinners like us. Now this is what the gospel says to us. And these people, he said, among whom we all once lived. Now here's here's where we live. In the passion of our flesh. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And were by nature the children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Did you know that a person, a little baby that's born, is born with a fallen nature? Did you know if we could see that little baby? I, I don't want I to not get in trouble here. But you see that little baby. You see one of the ugliest things you ever saw inside a person. You say, my baby, I know your grandchildren. I know. They're beautiful. They look like you. Don't you think they look like me? Here, let me show you a picture. We 
we love our children. But inside, there is a fallen nature that they receive from Mother Eve and Papa Adam that's transferred through the human race. And that little baby that's so cute and smiling, the first thing gets a chance, it'll slap your face. <laughs> it comes from the mother's side of the family, I think. <laughs> you see a little baby like that? Little babies are so selfish. Somebody said, I'd be like a little child. Well, they're just as selfish as a baby. We're just more discreet with our selfishness. The little baby, they give it here. He's already got three toys. Yeah, but that, I, I don't want you to have that. Little children. Now, and they'll lie. Who did that? Not me. You know, I had six boys. And I had one that was I thought was going to be a lawyer. Because I said, who did this? And he would jump in. My oldest son would jump in and say, I don't know who did it, Dad, but I'll find out for you. <laughs> Pretty cool, wasn't it? I, he, he tricked me like that. He excluded himself up front. Where do they get that stuff? You send your kid to kindergarten and I say, be sure to put him in a liar's class. No, we avoid that. I mean, be sure to tell him not to ever thank anybody for anything. I don't know whatever happened to the word thank you in America. I say to people, some thank, thank you. No problem. Well, I didn't think it was a problem. No, no problem. Thank you. Good service. No problem. You ever hear that? Why don't they just say, you're welcome? You know, that's the, you kids, listen to me. You kids, don't make it a problem when somebody thanks you. Just say, you're welcome. They like that. If old folks like us do, at least. Now, listen to me. Here's what the scripture shows us that this sin that we inherited is latent, intrinsic, that means built in, in every one of us. Now, there's no hope for a person with that unless a miracle takes place. Well, there, uh, there's good news coming. Look at the next verse, Romans and Ephesians 1 4. But. Conjunction, listen, but God being rich in what? Mercy. Mercy. Because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, has made us alive together in Christ. By grace you're saved. He says in verse 8 For by grace are you saved through faith. You're saved through faith. What's that? That's believing what God has done for you. That's all it is, believing what God's done. You're saved by grace through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not by works, not by church servings, not anything that you can do, lest any man should boast. You know what Charles Spurgeon said? Charles Spurgeon said, let this be to you the mark of gospel preaching, true gospel preaching, where Christ is everything and the creature is nothing, where it is salvation, all of grace, through the work of the Holy Spirit applying to the soul the precious blood of Christ. Let me tell you something. There are three miracles that describe our salvation, none of which we can do ourselves. You know what the first one is? You must be born. Y'all know that? Yeah. Say it. Yeah. It's okay to talk out. Just not when the preacher don't want you to talk out. That's wrong then. <laughs> what? You must be born. Yeah. What was wrong with the first birth? That's the problem. First birth, we are born in sin. Now, we need a new birth. Jesus said that Himself. So there's that, there's that birth. Then He said, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. That describes salvation. Any of you create anything lately? No, you can't create. You can make things. But to create is to bring something into existence that wasn't there. 
And he says, you made us alive in Christ, a resurrection. There's a birth, there's a creation, and there's a resurrection that describes our salvation, none of which we can do. Now the point I'm making is that this gospel is a message of grace that comes to people who deserve judgment and takes away their need for judgment and instead gives them a righteousness by which they stand before God accepted in His presence. Now, let me illustrate this and, and I'll be through. I want you to picture with me two women. And uh, these women could be any two women. And uh, let's suppose that they are have gone to church, the, the first church of your choice uh, in any town USA. That's where the church is. And these two women go to church and sit on the pews not far from each other. And let me tell you about the first woman. The first woman is a very moral woman. In other words, she's got one of the great, great reputations of respectability. She is the epitome of charm and femininity. She's moral and chaste and honest and very religious. She's civic-minded. Really, she's a servant of the community. And she attends the church regularly. But she's not saved. Now, this other woman, the second woman, is exactly the opposite. She's a blasphemer. She's immoral in her whole life. She can swear 30 minutes and use profane words only once and not twice. In 30 minutes she can do that. She's a liar. She's a drunkard. She's a heroin addicted person. She will steal from you. She will prostitute her body to support her habits. And there she sits in church. Now both these women same time in the same church hearing the same message. Now the message for that morning was the message on the gospel where Jesus said, Come to me all ye that labor and are heavy laden. That's what sin does. And I'll give you rest. This is the message. And then they sang an invitation hymn, Sinners Jesus will receive. Now what happened? When they begin that song, this second woman began to weep. She was gripped with deep emotion. She begins to cry, even almost audibly. Oh, what a wretched sinner I am. She, she finds herself crying out. If not audibly, she's certainly crying out to God. Oh, God in heaven. Can you receive me? Can you forgive me? Is it possible that you could love me? And the woman in that process comes to believe that the message that was given that morning is true. And she calls upon God to receive her and to save her and to give her faith that she can believe it even more than she does now. Now, here's the question. If I were the pastor and that took place in my church, would I have the privilege of telling that woman that she was saved because she trusted the message of the gospel that led her to Jesus and she called on him to be saved? Would I have the privilege of saying to that woman, if these things are true, then God has saved you? Well, the first lady didn't think so. In fact, she said, you mean to tell me that that awful and wicked woman says a prayer and believes something that was given to her from the Bible 
and she is totally forgiven of all her sins that she's committed. The first lady says, I'm not forgiven, and yet I've done all these good things. I never did what she did. Your gospel now, if that's the gospel, it's ridiculous. It's immoral. It's just unfair. And then it gets worse. Because i got to tell this good woman what the Bible says about her. The Bible says that I must not only tell her that her good things count for nothing, but actually they count against her. And I read two of this verse, but we all is an unclean thing. And all our righteousness says, that's plural, all of our righteousness says all of the good things that we do, not the bad things, that's, everybody knows that. The, the good things we do, he says, all our righteousness are as filthy rags. How can that be? That doesn't make sense. Here's a woman that is just misknowing all. She's just, look at her. And this other girl is just beaten and broken. Who wants her? Jesus does. Jesus wants her. I heard one pastor tell when he was a youth pastor. Where's my youth pastor? Right here. He said that one day he brought a friend. That's, now he's a pastor now, but he was just a Christian worshiping then. He brought a friend, a woman, a girl probably a teenager or young 20s whose life was just dissipated. And, and, and he got her to come to church. And of all things, this preacher's illustration was he took a beautiful red rose and he gave it down here and he told them to pass it around back there. And as he preached, they just kept passing it. And at the end of the service, the rose came back to him. And he said, you see this rose? Who, you saw how beautiful it was, who would want something like that? And the boy that brought the girl just wanted to scream out, what are you doing? What are you saying? And there his girlfriend sat beside him or this girl. Who wants her? And he said, I wanted to scream out, Jesus wants her. You see, he's the Savior of sinners. Not the sophisticated, but sinners. The person who's been beaten, who's lied to the family, who's stolen from them just to get another fix, he wants that person. You see, he's the Savior of sinners. Here's the question. Is this the gospel you believe? Or do you want to join the churches today that believe the answer to the problems is moralism? You know what the difference in moralism and salvation is? Salvation is moral, but moralism is not salvation. Moralism is just getting, keeping your kids from getting on dope. Don't bring home an unwanted child. Don't mess your life up. College is waiting. That, that's moralism. And if most families can just get their kids to be moral, just to do right, they're satisfied. They don't care whether they go to hell or not. They just want them to live right on earth, not to embarrass the family. Well, the family doesn't have much embarrassment left in it, in my estimation. Look at what's happened to us. I started out 60 years ago <clears throat> preaching the gospel. And I read the verse in the Bible that said there'll come a day when men will call evil good and good evil. And I shook my head and I said to myself, that'll never happen in America. 
But I want to tell you something, folks. If there's ever a time, in spite of all of our churches in this country, we're no more moral today than when I started. In fact, it's getting worse all the time. If there's something that's needed in our churches today, is not to get church members in, but to get them to understand the gospel. Don't let them sit there in the churches. I've, how many times have we seen this? How many times have we seen it? People who would jo- join the church when I was 12 years. Baptized in the kind of baptistry you got. Don't fix your baptist. It freezes folks out there, man. And, and I was baptized in, in the spring in, in February. And I wasn't even saved. I, I thought this is a tough way to go to heaven. I mean, my lips turned blue. And I wasn't even saved. But when I sat as a young paratrooper in Augsburg, Germany, in a little old chapel there on Flack Cern, and the, 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 the boy that I'd mistreated asked me to come to church with him. He was speaking, and just to make up for it, I went. And I sat there, and he opened the Word of God, the 12th chapter of Romans, and he gave the message. And while I was sitting there, God saved me. The Holy Spirit. Something happened I could not express. I went back into the barracks. And I said to those boys, I said, you know, I think something like I've been born again or something. Something's happened to me. And one of the worst in the whole crowd slapped me on the back and said, well, I don't know about it. Needed it worse than you, Jim. (laughs) He ended up in the federal pen. But salvation became a reality to me. That was in 1956. It's never changed. It's never changed. It's just gotten better. Because I know more about him. And the more I know about him, the more I love him. Don't you? Of course you do. Now, I'm going to quit with this. Martin Lloyd-Jones, which has always been a joy for me to read, one of the great pastors of that city, London, he used two sentences to people. He said this. Now think about this. To an unsaved person. He says, uh, what must a person do to be sure he's going to heaven and have you done it? And uh, he said, now here's what the response is always, almost. He said, well, I'm working on it. Are you going to heaven? Well, I'm working on it. Which indicates they have no idea what they're talking about. See, the Bible says this, and it's shocking, isn't it? It says, but to him that worketh not, trying to save himself, but believes on him who justifies who? The ungodly. God is going to justify only ungodly people. If you can't prove that you're ungodly, you can never be justified. You've got to come out as a bona fide sinner to be saved. Jesus saves only sinner. And the second question he said was this. He asked a question. He says, are, uh, are, are, most people believe that uh, you can go to heaven, you know, by your works. But he said, what kind of person is it that God saves and uh, takes to heaven? And do you believe you're that kind of person? And he said the same thing would come out again. That, uh, well, I'm not an angel, but uh, I hope to get there. Now the question comes down for all of us. Have you received the gospel? Do you believe the gospel? Has it changed your life? Oh, my friends, there's only one message to the church. Over at Bethel, over at Luella. Here at Botsford, over there at Botsford, Bethel, I want to ask you something. Is this the gospel you give the community? Is this the gospel you've received? That God loves sinners and He made provision for their salvation. And all who believe upon Him, doesn't it say that? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be what? Who call upon the name of the Lord. Those who do good works. 
those who join the church. All that's good after you're saved. This is the gospel. Now, tomorrow night, the Lord willing, I want to talk about something that's just almost a twin to this. And that is the response to this gospel message. I want to talk about saving faith. I hear faith talked about today as though it's not even faith. And I want to talk, I want to help us with that. On what is true faith? How do you know that it's true? Well, maybe the Lord will help us with that. But I want to say to you, sitting right where you are, now I know in these services it's hard for us. I, I would go through these things too. Our children are here and all the rest, and we get distracted and all this. But I just want to say to you that you can be saved wherever you are. There's nothing sacred about coming down a church aisle. In fact, it's embarrassing for a lot of folks, and they won't do it. But I'll tell you this. You can be saved. Now, here's the invitation to you this morning. is right where you are right now that you'll embrace the Christ about whom this gospel, this good news is given. That you would believe on Him. How would you believe on Him? In your mind, you receive historical facts, historical data, and you say, this is true. God is true. Jesus is true. I do believe on Him. I believe that message. It makes sense to me. You know why you believe it? Because the Holy Spirit has given you ability to believe it. Or else you'll never believe it. And that's what we're praying for, isn't it? That the Holy Spirit will take this word, this gospel, and apply it. Just like old brother Lazarus. You remember him? Lazarus had died. Was he dead? <laughs> Four days. Remember that? And Jesus walked up. And you know what he said? Huh? He said something before he said, come forth. What did he say? Huh? Come on, say it. I hear somebody saying it. Jesus standing at a dead man's grave. What's his name? What Jesus say? Wait a minute, you skipped his name. What did he say? First words out of his mouth at the grave. Lazarus. You know why? The whole crowd would have come out if he hadn't have said Lazarus. <laughs> you see, the Word of God in the hands of the Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit, he says to me that night, Jim, he said, Jim, come forth. Amen. And I came for grave clothes on. And then he said to Billy Lord. That's one thing I didn't like about that young fellow. Name was Lord. <laughs> I got away from church when I got in the army. I got to where real men are. And there I was right saddled with a guy named Lord, Billy Lord, having to say Lord all the time. And he gave the message and God gave me the life. And then he said to Billy, take off his clothes, his clothes, these grave clothes. See, that's what preachers do. Isn't it, brother? That's what you've done for 150 years. I know how old you are. <laughs> and you've been taking off dead men's clothes. God gives them life. Then we teach them the Word of God. And they begin to live a life of grace. And that wonderful life of free and loving grace of God is so wonderful. <laughs> what a joy it is to see my brother once again. What a joy. Let's pray together. Father, we've done the best we know how. If there's some way better, Lord, that we could explain it, show it to us. Help us to love people enough to be honest with them, to be clear to them, to be encouraging for them that they'll look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. I pray you'll bless Kenny, the pastor of this church. We love him. We thank you for him. His wife, Robin, I pray, Lord, that you'll bless the members of this congregation. How much he loves them, having told me so. And I pray, Lord, that you'll use them. This young man sitting here, 
that reaching out to young people. God bless them, I pray. Give them all they need to be a blessing in this community of bringing men and women, boys and girls, to saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. In His name we rejoice with praise. Amen.